One of the things we love in our family is children's Bibles and Bible storybooks. And we've got loads. So if you ever need any recommendations for your grandchildren, just come and ask me. One thing I've noticed uh, as new books get published is that in the pictures, Jesus is looking more and more like he was a Jewish man born in the Middle East. Uh, a lot of older pictures of Jesus make him look like a sort of hippie European. But what hasn't changed is Jesus always looks nice. He looks kind, warm-hearted, he smiles, but in today's reading, Jesus is terrifying. For the last five weeks, instead of jumping about all over the Bible, we've been binge-watching Mark's account of Jesus of Nazareth, and we've been asking the question, who is this man? Who is Jesus really? We've heard him make big claims about himself how with his arrival, the kingdom of God has come near, and how he has within himself the authority of God. And he's backed that up by healing people and driving out demons. He told a paralyzed man to walk, and he walked, and he commanded evil spirits to go away. Some people have been amazed and intrigued by Jesus. Others have called him mad, or evil. And last week Jesus spent some time explaining in parables why actually his kingdom doesn't look all that impressive. Compared with, say, the Roman Empire, Jesus' kingdom is as small as a mustard seed, but he promised that it would grow. I guess you just, you had to have faith. But faith works best when you've got evidence. Faith isn't believing in something despite the evidence. Faith is trusting someone now precisely because of what they've done in the past. And what Jesus does in today's episode goes far beyond anything he's done so far. If you need evidence, this is evidence. And there's even more next week. We're looking at Mark chapter 4 from verse 35 all the way to chapter 5, verse 20. You can find it on page 1006. And it comes in two parts, the part about a storm and the part about the legion. Let's begin with the storm. This is all about fighting fear with faith. If you ever uh, hear a fisherman being interviewed, something a lot of them say is that you've got to respect the sea. Just because we know how to build boats and float on water, we don't have the sea under our control. The sea is a monster. You can't take your safety for granted. There's times it's safe to go out, there's times it's not. Well, when Jesus finished teaching his parables, the Sea of Galilee looked safe enough and Jesus asked his disciples to row him over to the other side. There were other boats with them too, and in the boat Jesus took the opportunity to get some sleep. I always wonder if he went to sleep on purpose. 
Well, they rode and rode with Jesus sleeping until suddenly, out in the middle of the lake, a powerful wind like a hurricane came sweeping down from the highland and very quickly, calm waters became violent. Imagine the scene. The boat starts to go up and down, up and down and the big waves start to crash over the sides of the boat. The other boats are gone. You can't see them through the mist and spray. Who knows what's happened to them? And now you're soaking through and the wind is roaring and the boat is filling with water. Up and down, up and down and the men begin to shout and pray. You look at the four experienced fishermen in the boat. They've been on this lake during storms and even they look like this is the end. And they look for Jesus and there he is at the end of the boat, still sleeping like a baby. What is he doing? He should be praying like mad. Someone wakes him, teacher, he shouts. Don't you care if we drown, seriously? Then Jesus stands up with that calm smile on his face and he stares out at the walls of water and at the wind and then he speaks to them. Quiet, be still. And verse 39 says, then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, why are you so afraid? What? Hello? Because we almost died. And then he said, do you still have no faith? In other words, don't you realize yet that you can trust me? You really don't need to be afraid of anything. Except, except uh, now they're not just afraid, they're terrified. Look with me at verse 40 at the bottom of page 1006. Jesus said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Maybe they thought they knew him well enough. They'd seen him do plenty of amazing miracles. But when they saw him stand up and issue commands to the wind and sea, and saw the wind and sea obey him, they weren't amazed. They were terrified. Who on earth has control over the sea? or the wind. Well, nobody on earth. That's God-level authority. I can well imagine the disciples praying to God in that storm, but Jesus didn't need to because he himself is God. He simply speaks and the storm obeys its creator. No wonder they're scared of Jesus the power of God is far more terrifying than any forces of nature. But their fear is perhaps a good fear. If you fear Jesus, 
well then you need fear nothing else. With Jesus in your boat, you can sleep in a storm. You are safe. God's plan for your life might take you through intense and terrifying moments, but he is with you in the midst of them. So don't be afraid. Fight fear with faith. Fear tells us nobody can help you now. Jesus says, put your trust in me. That's the first part of the episode. Now we move on to part two, the legion. And this is all about telling your story. Sometimes I think that storm Jesus stopped was just a random storm. But sometimes I wonder if evil powers were trying to stop Jesus reaching the other side of the lake. And that's because of what happens next. All 13 men climb out of the boat, dripping wet onto the beach. All the disciples are probably thinking, why have we come here? The area they're in is Gentile territory, it's pig farmer territory, definitely not Jewish. But that means it's a good place to hide from Jesus if you're a demon. Yet despite the storm that tried to kill him, Jesus has arrived. And as he walks off the beach, the demons come at him. A foul and naked man, sore and bleeding, smeared in filth, runs at Jesus. And throwing himself down on the floor, he screams at the top of his voice. It's like a horror movie. He cries out, verse 7, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God you won't torture me. And what scares me is, how does he know? that one of these men is Jesus. It's like he knew he was coming and he knows exactly which one of the 13 is Jesus. It's like he can see in him something others can't see. But how? The answer is demonic knowledge. Evil spirits have crawled their way into his mind and body so that their knowledge becomes his knowledge. Their strength has become his strength. Look at verse three. This man lived in the tombs. He sleeps among the dead. And although they tried, no one could bind him, not even with chains, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when Jesus asks him his name in verse nine, he replies and says, my name is Legion, for we are many. How wretched this man is. A legion was a Roman military force of up to 6,000 soldiers. And that is what this man now calls himself. He's no longer one person, but many. Jesus is face to face with a demonic legion. Would you not be afraid? But these demons know who they're talking to. The storm didn't stop Jesus. So now they start begging him, begging him not to torture them or banish them. Jesus mightn't have looked like a king in this world, 
but the demons have no doubt that in the spiritual world, he is the son of the most high God. Jesus cannot be opposed and he opposes all evil. And they know he wants their prisoner back. And so they ask permission to go from the man into a herd of pigs. And to save the man, Jesus says, yes. Now, of course, these demons are invisible, but just like you can see the movement of the wind when it blows through the leaves, you could tell the demons had gone into the pigs because a moment after they left the man, the pigs went mad. I tell you, back in England, uh, we took James and Felix and Rose to a farm to see all the animals. And there was one barn full of pig pens, maybe 30, 40 pigs, something like that. And we were outside in the picnic area eating and all of a sudden this horrendous noise started, like roaring and screaming, but it was loud. So loud, I was literally worried. So I followed the noise all the way to the barn where the pigs were. And as I walked in it, the noise was like nothing I've heard before. There were children in there with their hands over their ears and the sound was coming from the pigs. You'd have thought they were being slaughtered or burned alive or something. They were screaming and it was horrible. But it turned out they were, they were making all this racket because a lady had just arrived with a bucket full of their food and they were all feeling very excited. Well, that was the noise of 30 or 40 pigs. But look with me at verse 13. What would it be like to hear Jesus give his permission and a moment later see 2,000 pigs squealing and screaming, rush and stampede all in one huge heaving mass and throw themselves into the sea, piling body on top of body until they drowned. That is the vicious and destructive effect the presence of the demons had in those pigs. And this poor man who fell at Jesus' feet had been living with that for who knows how long. And simply by his presence, Jesus had caused a lot of them to flee. Well, quickly news spreads and people come running from the town and the fields to see what's happened. And what do they see? Verse 15, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. What a wonderful picture of salvation, a restored individual sitting at Jesus's feet. But the people who had come didn't have wee tears of happiness in their eyes. No, verse 15 says they were afraid, very afraid of Jesus. Just like the disciples knew the power of the storm, these people knew the power of those demons. They knew how they tormented and ruined that man. And now someone had come along from whom those demons were begging for mercy. Jesus isn't a man in sandals who likes cuddling small sheep. He's the creator and commander of earth and sea and the Lord of angels and demons. And yet what do the people do? Instead of sitting at his feet, verse 17 says, they asked him to leave. 
Just like we heard last week, some people hear about Jesus and the word just bounces off their hard hearts like seeds on concrete. But Jesus knows that despite the seeds that don't grow, there will be seeds that find good soil. And so when the man he had rescued asked to go with Jesus in his boat so that he could be with him, with his saviour, Jesus tells him in verse 19, no. Now in one sense that breaks my heart. Nobody loved this man. His whole personality had been destroyed and ruined by evil. He'd nearly destroyed himself. And then he meets a man who loves him, rescues him and reconstructs him into a sane and peaceful person, just like he calmed the storm. And then Jesus seems to reject him. But Jesus' no isn't a letter of rejection, it's a job offer. Look at verse 19 with me. Jesus did not let the man come with him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. Jesus had he'd just driven out the legion of demons and yet now the people want to drive Jesus out. He came to preach, but they don't want him. So what does he do? He appoints the man he saved to preach in his place. This man becomes the first missionary to the Gentiles. Jesus told him to tell people what the Lord God had done for him and he does, because he goes and tells them all about Jesus. Isn't that brilliant? He just tells people his story, how he met Jesus and how Jesus changed his life. And we've all got a story to tell. A lot of people worry about sharing their faith or talking about Jesus because they don't have answers to all the difficult questions. But this man didn't have answers either. What he did have though is his story. Stories are powerful. They put flesh on the truth. They're not just a description of salvation, they're a real life example of it. He didn't have all the answers, but it didn't matter. All Jesus asked him to do is share his own story of what Jesus had done for him. Now, is that something you could do? Perhaps you could make a cup of tea this week, sit down and have a think about what Jesus means to you, what difference he's made in your life where you'd be without him. And then speak to Jesus and ask him to give you an opportunity to tell someone your story. Because did you see that the people asked Jesus to leave their area and he did. But when the man started sharing his story, verse 20, all the people were amazed. When we spread the gospel enough, we will find some good soil. Well, what have we seen? We've seen Jesus demonstrate his authority on a scale like nothing we've seen so far. We've seen him towering over the storm, towering over Satan's legion, and we've seen him use his power and authority to save people from death and hell. And we are also people whom Jesus has saved. We often face things that could make us afraid, 
but Jesus is more terrifying than anything. And with him on our side, we do not need to fear. So have faith in Jesus and pray that your story of how Jesus has saved you might be the story Jesus uses to amaze others so that they turn and put their faith in him and find they have a Jesus story of their own. Let's pray. Our Lord God and loving Father, we thank you that you sent your Son into the world to save us from death and from hell, towering over all our enemies with his great power and authority. Thank you that he is kind. Thank you that he has compassion on us. Please help us to share our own stories of what he has done in our lives. And we ask this for his name's sake. Amen.